Trainingport.net presents Business Aviation Training Report. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Training Report, a monthly look at events in the business aviation world. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. This podcast is produced by the leader in online training for business aviation, trainingport.net. We link the aviation news of the day with the training needs of business aviation operators, management, their support staff, maintainers, and pilots. We want to discuss topics that are important to business aviation professionals. So please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Welcome to part two of Sample Oceanic Checklist. First off, I'd like to say that this has been a crazy few weeks. I'm recording this on March 21st, and I've been in quarantine for nine days due to a cold. However, my coronavirus test has come back negative. I wish everyone the best of health in these unprecedented times. I'm recording at home, so the quality is a bit inferior to the normal, but it's made better thanks to my great sound engineer. Last time we reviewed pre-flight, flight planning, and preparation steps as recommended by the NAT Systems Plan Group checklist. Today we will continue with the taxi phase onwards. Thanks for joining me, and if you missed part one of the podcast, then you can go back anytime and have a listen. Just go to the Training Port website and click on podcast. Just a note that the Nat Ops Bulletin is written very well, so in many cases I am reading directly from it. This checklist applies to any oceanic flight, including water's airspace. Okay, we are in taxi phase, and the checklist recommends a ground speed check during taxi. Is the ground speed reasonable for taxi? Present position check. This present position check is conducted after leaving the chocks, according to the bulletin. Check for gross difference between this present position and the gate coordinates. This check will alert the crew to possible error in the navigation database that can be investigated and corrected prior to takeoff. Okay, we are in the climb out. After climbing above the sterile altitude, verify the ETA at destination. These should be noted on the master document. This is an excellent cross-check against ETAs computed by the long-range nav systems. Prior to oceanic entry, obtain oceanic clearance airborne if required to do so. Both pilots must listen to the oceanic clearance from the appropriate clearance delivery. Clearance via voice should be obtained at least 40 minutes prior to oceanic entry and via data link 30 to 90 minutes prior to oceanic entry. Oceanic clearances from Reykjavik Center shall be obtained 15 to 45 minutes prior to oceanic entry. The pilots should confirm amongst themselves the assigned routing, flight level, and Mach number. Contact the ATS provider for clarification in the event of differences. Read back all waypoint coordinates to the ATS provider and ensure a correct readback is acknowledged. Verify the route clearance is properly loaded into the navigation system. It is important that both pilots confirm and ensure the aircraft enters the ocean at the altitude assigned in the oceanic clearance. The flight level in the oceanic clearance may be different than the domestic cleared flight level. If it is different, crew should request climb or descent from domestic ATC to comply with the oceanic clearance. Crews should include their requested flight level in their initial oceanic clearance request and the highest acceptable level which can be attained at the oceanic entry point. Crews should be confident that they are able to maintain requested flight levels based on performance capabilities. This is important. Altitudes in oceanic clearances are not when ready climb instructions and need to be coordinated with domestic ATC. Navigation accuracy check before oceanic entry. 
The accuracy of the long-range nav system should be checked against a ground-based nav aid. The results of the accuracy check should be recorded with the time and position. A large difference between the ground-based nav aid and the LRNS may require immediate corrective action. Operators should establish a navigation accuracy check tolerance based on the type of LRNS installed. It is not advisable for crews to attempt to correct an error by doing an error alignment or by manually updating the LRNS since this has often contributed to a gross navigation error. A lat-long radar fix from ATC can also support a navigation accuracy check in lieu of a nav aid. HF communication checks. If the crew was unable to accomplish an HF and cell call checks on the ground, these checks should be accomplished before oceanic entry. Additional cell call checks should be conducted at each control area boundary, regardless of whether CBDLC is working normally. Okay, SATCOM. Flight crews should check that SATCOM data link is operational, if applicable, before oceanic entry. Log on to CBDLC or ADSC. Operators approved to use controller pilot data link communications and or automatic dependent surveillance contract should log on to the appropriate FIR 10 to 25 minutes prior to the boundary. Verify RMP value. Pilots should verify that the RMP value set in the FMS is at least as stringent as that required for the route of flight and reflects the RMP capability indicated in the filed ATS flight plan. Oceanic is generally RMP4 or 10. Okay, revised clearance procedures. A reclearance that is different from the oceanic route requested with the filed flight plan is the number one scenario which leads to a gross navigation error. Therefore, crews must be very cautious of their procedures when receiving a reclearance. Both pilots should receive and confirm the new routing and conduct independent cross-checks after the LRNS master document and plotting orientation chart are updated. Ensure the expanded coordinates for new waypoints are checked and confirmed. It is critical that crews check the magnetic course and distance between the new waypoints. Brief all relief pilots on the new clearance prior to them assuming cockpit duties. It is also a good practice for relief pilots to independently check the currently effective route clearance against the flight management computer, master document, and chart. If the oceanic clearance differs from the flight planned or filed route, the new oceanic clearance must be activated in the FMS for the entire length of the oceanic crossing prior to responding to a quote, confirm assigned route, unquote, CPDLC message, which is typically sent shortly after passing the oceanic entry waypoint. Track and distance tables are available commercially for every 10 degrees of longitude. Okay, altimeter checks. Crews are required to check the two primary altimeters, which must be within 200 feet of each other. This check is conducted while at level flight. The standby altimeter should also be noted. The altimeter readings should be recorded along with the time. Perform a compass heading check if using inertial navigation systems or INS. It is recommended to conduct a compass heading check and record the results when inertial systems are the only means of long-range navigation. The check can also aid in determining the most accurate compass if a problem develops over water. Okay, we are in the oceanic segment. Normally, 30 minutes after oceanic entry, crews should squawk 2,000. There are some regional differences. For details, see the relevant AIP and or NAT doc 007. This is where an oceanic checklist developed by the operator is handy. Maintain the assigned Mach number. Most oceanic clearances include a specific Mach. The increased emphasis on longitudinal separation requires crew vigilance in the separation based on assigned Mach. 
The requirement is to maintain the true mock, which has been assigned by ATC, and if you cannot, within 0.02 mock, you must inform ATC. The NAT is in the midst of a variable speed trial, so if you hear resume normal speed or receive the CPDLC message, then fly the flight plan speed, which could be cost index or long-range cruise in your airplane. The trial is ongoing, so watch out for a NAT Ops bulletin for more. The first variable speed bulletin was 2019-001, issued in July 2019. VHF radios. After going beyond the range of assigned VHF frequency, Crews should set their radios to air to air, which is 123.45, and guard frequency 121.5. Strategic lateral offset procedures are SLOP. The SLOP should be SOP for all oceanic crossings. This procedure was developed to reduce the risk from highly accurate navigation systems or operational errors involving the ATC clearance. SLOP also replaced the contingency procedure developed for aircraft encountering wake turbulence. Depending upon winds aloft, coordination between aircraft to avoid wake turbulence may be necessary. This procedure distributes traffic between flying centerline, 1 nautical miles, or 2 nautical miles right of centerline, greatly reduces collision risk in the airspace by virtue of randomness, which operators ensure by diligent application of slop. Operators that have an automatic offset capability should fly up to 2 nautical miles right of centerline. Aircraft that do not have an automatic offset capability that can be programmed in the FMS should fly the centerline only. Left offsets are not authorized. Microslop is now an option in the North Atlantic FIRs of Gander and Shanwick. Microslop is offsetting to the right by increments of 0.1 of a mile between 0.1 and 2 nautical miles. This is a new procedure for Atlantic crossings as of August 7, 2019, but should only be employed if your FMS is microslop capable. In other words, you must be able to program offsets to 0.1 of a mile. These changes can be found in the ICAO NAT document 007, revision 2019-3. I briefly touched on this in the last podcast. Also, when employing slop, crews should make sure the two-way point is correct after entering slop. With some avionics, when executing an offset near the active two-way point, the FMS can sequence to the next plus one waypoint, therefore skipping a waypoint. Gross navigational errors have resulted. Hourly altimeter checks. Crews are required to observe the primary and standby altimeters each hour. It is recommended that these hourly checks be recorded with the readings and times. This documentation can aid crews in determining the most accurate altimeter if an altimetry problem develops. Okay, effective routine monitoring. Operators should specify which FMS pages or other appropriate displays of the navigation system are assigned to specific flight crew for monitoring. FMSs should rest on a designated page for the pilot flying and the pilot monitoring. If the FMS provides a predicted ETA capability, pilots should take advantage of that function in order to track the accuracy of ETAs and provide reminders for performing the approaching waypoint and 10-minute after procedures. Ensure there is an active CPDLC connection with the proper current data authority. When approaching waypoints, confirm the next latitude longitude. Within a few minutes of crossing an oceanic waypoint, crews should cross-check the coordinates of the next and subsequent oceanic waypoints. This check should be done by comparing the expanded coordinates against the master document based on the currently effective ATC clearance. 
Verify the course and heading and distance in the FMS to the next waypoint matches the master document. Where I work, we set the next track that the aircraft should fly after the waypoint using the course selector knob. Confirm autopilot steering is engaged and in the proper mode. Overhead waypoints confirm that the aircraft transitions to the next waypoint. This can be confirmed by noting the magnetic heading and distance to the next waypoint compared to the master document. Confirm time and next waypoint. Crews must be vigilant in passing an accurate ETA to ATC for the next waypoint. When transmitting waypoint position reports via voice, a change of three minutes or more for the NAT region requires that ATC be notified in a timely manner. Inaccurate position reports adversely affect ATC's ability to safely separate aircraft. Okay, position reports. After passing over the oceanic waypoint, crews that give a position report to ATC must use the standard format. The standard format can differ from Pacific to waters to Atlantic and elsewhere. Crews should also note and record their fuel status at each oceanic waypoint. This is especially important if the cleared route and the flight level differ significantly from the filed flight plan. 10 minutes after waypoint passage. Cross-check navigational performance and plot the latitude and longitude on the chart being used to track flight progress. It is advisable to plot the non-steering LRNS. A 10-minute plot can alert the crew to any lateral deviation from their ATC clearance prior to it becoming a GNE or gross navigational error. A good cross-check for the position of the 10-minute plot is that it is approximately 2 degrees of longitude past the oceanic waypoint. In FMS-equipped aircraft, the flight crew may use the nav display method of navigational cross-checking, which is to confirm the aircraft symbol is on the programmed route on the navigation display. Set the navigation display to the smallest scale for this check. You can also check the system-generated cross-track deviation or similar indication to confirm there is no deviation from the programmed route of flight. An example is the ND displaying X track is 0.0 nautical miles. Use the steering LRNS. Verify the two-way point is consistent with the currently effective route clearance. Again, verify the autopilot is in the desired steering mode. Midway between waypoints. It's a good practice to cross-check winds midway between oceanic waypoints by comparing the master document, LRNS, and upper millibar wind chart. This cross-check will also aid crews in case there is a need for a contingency procedure such as dead reckoning. ETA monitoring. During the midpoint wind check, you could also confirm the ETA to the next waypoint. When transmitting waypoint position reports via voice, a change of three minutes or more requires that ATC be notified. I've also seen pilots use a barrel bug as a constant reminder of the ETA given to ATC. When coasting in, compare a ground-based nav aid to your LRNS when departing oceanic airspace and acquiring ground-based nav aids. Any slop used during the oceanic crossing must be removed prior to exiting oceanic airspace. Confirm routing beyond oceanic airspace before entering the domestic route structure. Crews must confirm their routing to include aircraft speed assignment. If you experience a communications failure leaving oceanic airspace, you should follow the state's AIP. At destination, the bulletin recommends that the crew performs another navigation accuracy check. Not a bad idea, especially if you fly the same airplane a lot and you are doing another crossing in a few days. A GPS primary system normally should not exceed 0.27 nautical miles for the flight. Some inertial systems may drift as much as 2 nautical miles per hour. LRNSs are highly accurate, therefore operators should establish a drift tolerance, which if exceeded would require a write-up in the maintenance log. RMP requirements demand that drift be closely monitored. 
Okay, aviation professionals, In the News is a segment of the podcast where I talk about other happenings in aviation. This one is for Canadian operators who fly in the North Atlantic. This is from the CBAA forum post of January 23rd, 2020, with their authorization. The previously issued Civil Aviation Safety Alert, or CASA, is not clear and will be reissued. Transport Canada says their previously issued CASA 2019-10 issue 1 was too vague and difficult to understand. Therefore, they will reissue the CASA. However, Canadian operators need to know what they have to do to be authorized to fly in the NAT HLA airspace and with what equipment. For Canadian operators, as of January 31, all current NAT MNPS special authorizations will no longer be valid for flights operating across the North Atlantic NATHLA airspace between flight levels 290 and 410. In its place, a special authorization called NAT HLA MNPS will have to be added to the operator's PORD or AOC. The NAT HLA airspace includes the NAT organized track system and the blue spruce routes. Airspace above flight level 410 or below 290 is not affected by this new SA. How do you apply for this new SA? The operator emails their POI at Transport Canada applying for the new NAT HLA MNPS special authorization. TC will provide a compliance guide to request compliance with equipment and training requirements. If you wish to operate in the organized track system, there are four special authorizations that an operator must hold. Number one, NAT, HLA, MNPS. Two, RVSM. Three, RMP4 or RMP10. And finally, PBCS, which is ADSC with proof of contract. What if you don't have PBCS or compliant PBCS? Where can you operate? If you hold NATHLA MNPS, the new SA, RVSM, and RMP4 or RMP10, and you also hold ADSB, you may operate on the blue spruce routes only. That's ADSB for broadcast. Talk to your POI to get this done. Thanks for listening and stay healthy. That's our podcast for today. Podcast notes will be posted on our website at trainingport.net. Click on podcast. We aim to discuss topics that are relevant to business aviation professionals, and we would love to hear your suggestions for future podcasts. You can email us at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. This podcast is brought to you by trainingport.net, leader in online business aviation training. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. Have a great day. And thank you for listening to the Business Aviation Training Report. For more information on each episode, visit us at www.trainingport.net slash podcast. Trainingport.net, helping business aviation professionals excel.